Well, good morning, and so glad that you are here. Uh, grateful to have the opportunity to worship with you today, and, and uh, just thank God for you, and, and looking forward to this morning. I want to say a special welcome to everyone. Thanks for being a Second Baptist, uh, whether in person, I'll have several join us online. Uh, if you're a guest in person or, or online, we'd love to connect with you. We can do that in one of a couple ways. Uh, the first way is there's a, uh, for those of you in person here, there's a card in the pew back in front of you. If you would fill that information out. And at the end of service, you can leave it in the pew there next to you. Or uh, there'll be an offering plate as we leave, opportunity to give today. But you can uh, leave that in the offering plate. It's a way for us to... Uh, know and connect with you, or uh, you can go to our website, sbcr.org, and click a button that says, I'm new, and fill that information out, and it's a way for us to, again, just to connect with you. We thank you for being here, looking forward to uh, the service today. I want to make you aware of a few things that are happening in the life and ministry of our church. Uh, first of all, there is a Young and Heart Appreciation uh, lunch immediately following service. Um, just FYI, I don't think they're checking IDs at the door. So I mean, if we can if we can expand that young and heart today, right? So um, anyway, but you're uh, certainly welcome. It's a way for us to say thanks and show our appreciation for our young at heart group. So we invite you to uh, stay and take part of that. Uh, I'll give you some more instructions near the end of service uh, before we dismiss. Uh, for those of you that are staying for that, but that'll be immediately following our service today. Um, there's a, a Super Bowl uh, get-together uh, this evening here at church, and, and Jonathan, uh, Pastor Jonathan is heading that up, so I uh, invite you to be a part of that, and, and there's some information in the bulletin about that, or you can catch him after service and visit with him about that, uh, and come and join, be a part of that this evening. Our Man Up Men's Bible Study that we launched last week, we're not meeting this week, but we will resume uh, next week. We do have our quarterly business meeting next Sunday night. That'll take place at 5 o'clock. Our Men's Bible Study will start at 6 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall, and so I want to invite you to be a part of that. All of our midweek activities and, and those things uh, taking place, uh, I want to invite you to be a part of that as well, okay? You can always watch the bulletin. Also, uh, we try every Thursday afternoon to send out uh, what we call the news and notes of Second Baptist Church. Linda usually sends that out for us on Sunday afternoon. Uh, if you're not getting that, you could reach out to the office and mention that to Linda, and she'll make sure we have your email address and, and send that to you. But it's a great way to, to really know what's happening and what's going on in the life and ministry of our church. And, and um, so just want to make you aware of that. Um, before we get ready to sing and, and worship the Lord together, um, as I was praying for you this morning, I um, read this verse and so really wanted us just to pause this morning. You know, recently I preached through uh, a series that I titled A Healthy Church and really have been calling us back to being mindful of seeking the presence of God, not just the presence of God in the sense that God is everywhere all at one time. We affirm that. We believe that. Uh, but this idea of the manifest presence of God, that we know we've gotten in the presence of God and just knowing that He, there's, there's a different sense of a felt reality that God is present. And so that's what we've been seeking God for as a part of our services in, in recent weeks and, and prayer meeting and those things. And uh, just being intentional, we want to be 
in the presence of God. And so we're going to have a time of focused prayer in, in just a few moments. Uh, let me read this verse to you in Acts chapter 9, verse 31. We just have this short description about the churches there. And listen to what it says. Uh, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. That is, they were built up. They were growing. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were multiplied. I preached through that Healthy Church series, and we affirm, we agree, man, we want the hand of God upon our church. We want the hand of God as we meet and come together. And so um, I believe that only comes through intentionality, through prayer, through seeking the face and the presence of God. And so here's what I want us to pray. Uh, pray about what, what took place, what this description is in verse 31. And these were the two things, or the few things rather, they had peace, they were edified, and they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to just take a moment while we pause before we sing, before we do anything else, and pray and ask God for these things on our church today, that we may meet with Him. And so if you would, if you would just bow your head, close your eyes, you may want to take a moment and kneel where you're at, you may want to come to the front and pray. Um, whatever the Lord leads you to do is certainly fine. We just want to be really intentional. And so you just take a moment, and would you just, in your own mind, would you just praise and thank God for who He is and for what He's done in your life? Every one of us, God's been good to us. He's answered prayer. He's done things in our life. Would you just thank God for, him, uh, for what He's done and who He is? And then would you pray that the peace of God would be upon us this morning. That we would experience the peace that only God can provide. Would you ask God that together that we would be edified through the singing together and through the preaching of His Word. Would you ask God that you would walk in the fear of the Lord? And that as a church, we would fear God. And then would you pray that the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, would be present this morning? And then would you ask God that his presence would be known, it would be real, it would be felt this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your grace and mercy. And I pray God in heaven. Lord, would you meet with us? Would you meet among your people? Lord, I pray the manifest presence of God would be here today. I pray we would worship you in spirit and in truth. We would celebrate the victory that we have in you, Jesus. We would proclaim the goodness and, and the mightiness of you, God. I pray that in everything that we say and do, that the name of Jesus would be exalted. Lord, you are good and gracious and kind. 
and we love you. We pray and ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together.
Jesus. 
runs deep. Your grace is more, but grace is found, is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. Holiness is Christ. God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you. 
how I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I've got my own giants. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness. On your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You answered prayers back then, and you will answer now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You moved in power then. God moved in power now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You were a healer then. You are a healer now. You are the same God. 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 Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need. Rock, oh, rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you.
rock, oh rock of ages, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. You freed the captives and you're freeing hearts right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. You touch the lepers, and I feel your touch right now. You are the same God. You are the same God. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. Come and fill me again. This is way out of my comfort zone, so I'm going to need your help. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. One more time. I I need more God more today than I ever have. I need Him more in this moment right now than I ever have. You'd need God more right now in this moment than you ever have. If you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of John? John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and going to begin with verse 9 in just a moment. John chapter 3 and verse 9. And if you found your place, will you stand with me in the honor of the reading of the Word of God. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? 
Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let me pray. Precious Jesus, we love and adore you. God, we declare together this morning that, God, we need you. I pray, God, you'd meet and be among us this morning. I pray, God, you'd give me every word to say, nothing more and nothing less. And, God, I pray that, God, you would draw the lost to yourself. You would restore the backslider. And, God, you would encourage the saint. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I'm preaching a message this morning that I've titled Tragic Knowledge, Tragic Knowledge, and it comes on the heels of this second part of the interaction with Jesus and Nicodemus, and if you were to read back, if you were able to be here last week, but if you were not, uh, the Cliff Notes version of uh, the first part of chapter 3, that uh, Nicodemus is a religious man, he is a Pharisee, he's kind of the teacher of teachers, we're going to see that in just a moment. Um, he, he's an expert in the law, he's an uh, expert in, in the heritage, and, and man, he's got all the religious boxes checked, but he comes to Jesus, uh, the Bible says, in the cover of night to ask Jesus a question, and in particular to ask about salvation, how one gets the kingdom of God, how one gets into the kingdom of God. And Jesus answers in John chapter 3 and verse 3, says, unless one is born again, he can not enter into the kingdom of God. He must born, and then he goes on to explain, must be born of the water and of the spirit. And so last week I talked to you about to be born again, that it's a, uh, it's a physical birth. That's what he's talking about. The, uh, you must be physically born, uh, the born of the water and then born of the spirit, that there's a rebirth that takes place. It's a spiritual work and not one that we can earn, not one we have any part of and other than just surrendering to the Lord. And it's the activity of the Holy Spirit that brings dead things back to life. That's the idea. And so Nicodemus, in our text this morning, there's still some questions. He still hasn't figured this thing out. And so he asks more questions, and then Jesus responds. And that's what I want to look at together this morning. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the main idea of the text is this. Knowledge about God in the Bible alone will not get you into heaven. Standing before the throne of God in the day of judgment, it will not matter one iota if you are able to name the books of the Bible in order, whether you know the song or not. It will not matter one bit how many verses you can recite. It will not matter one bit how many uh, Bible lessons or Bible studies you have completed. That's not the question of the hour. 
And that is not the test of salvation. Now, some of those things ought to be fruit of salvation, but that's not the test of salvation. And so the question then this morning is, what or who are you trusting in for salvation? Hopefully it's a person and his name is Jesus. But unfortunately, we fall victim into trusting in more in what rather than who. We fall victim to trusting into the things that we can do or the things we can provide. We fall victim into the check boxes that we have on our resume. And this morning, I want us to look at this text and we're going to see the importance of trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. I want us to see three truths from the text this morning. Number one, knowledge is tragic when it is only for your head. It is only for your head. I want us to look here together at verses 9 and 10. Nicodemus, we introduced you to him briefly, but if you were to read back up in the uh, first couple verses of this chapter, it tells us again that he's uh, he's a ruler among the Jews. And so we ask him, he said, how can these things be? He's asking, how can, how can an individual must be born again? And, and I think in some way he's wrestling with what he has believed, always believed to be true, that uh, it's important to be born in the right family. It's important to, uh, to know and have memorized uh, parts of the scripture and, and man, have that internalized. It's important to, to have kept the law and all these religious activities what is happening in a moment Jesus has undone what he has known to believe to be true up until this point. So he's saying, how can this be? And specifically, if we were to look at this, he's asking more specifically, not just the word be there, but how can this happen? He's wanting to know, and you may write that in the margin of your Bible, your translation, I preach out of the New King James, and most translations translate it, how can this be? But the question more accurately is, how can this happen? And again, he is going back to John 3, 3, Jesus said, one must be born again, and then he he says, well, how can a, uh, Nicodemus responds, says, how can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time? And that's when Jesus responds, one must be born of the water, physical birth, one must be born of the spirit, spiritual birth. And so he's still not understanding these things. And so he goes on, verse 10, Jesus answered, said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Notice the language here. I want you to mark on the line your Bible. Look at verse 10. And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? He, Jesus recognizes here, that Nicodemus, if you were to look back again to verse, uh, verse 1, there was a man of Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And Jesus here, when he was responding to Nicodemus, he's saying, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? Jesus has a strong word of condemnation toward Nicodemus. He's going, man, how can you claim, how can you be this uh, expert in the law, this expert in, in the things of God, and not understand this? And friends, let me tell you this. And Jesus knows this, and Jesus is going to address this, but he's trying to get Nicodemus to recognize this. And the reality, what he's trying to get Nicodemus to see, 
it's not just about what is here. I nearly titled this message 18 Inches from Hell. Because the difference between heaven and hell for a lot of people, and particularly religious people, is the difference of about 18 inches from your head and your heart. See, because Nicodemus could have passed the test. Nicodemus would have been an excellent Sunday school teacher. Do you hear me this morning? Nicodemus would have won Jeopardy for Bible. He would have been the, he would have been the phone a friend on who wants to be a millionaire. Anybody remember who wants to be a millionaire? The phone a friend for the Bible question. And man, he would have nailed it. But dear friend, he was as far from God as the worst sinner in the whole world. Because he had all the head knowledge, but he couldn't understand there was something different. It's not just about what you know. And dear friend, I wonder if there's any among us this morning that you may be an expert in the things of the Bible. You, 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 you've got the songs memorized. You've got all 66 books in order. You've got the verses memorized and, and so on and so forth. But dear friend... It doesn't matter one bit about what you know. It doesn't matter one bit about what's in your head. It matters about who you know and has been there's been transformation in your heart. See, because the Bible says this in James 2.19. He says, you believe there is one God. You do well. Look at this. I want you to catch this. Even the demons believe and tremble. Listen, now, I, I wouldn't want to be in the class, so clearly understand this, but, but, but the demons of hell have a whole lot better doctrine and understanding of the Scripture and the things of God than many church members. They are well-versed in the Scripture, and they are well-versed in the things of God. Did you catch what it said? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. They have a head knowledge of God, yet they rebelled against God. Why? Because it's not about what you know. It's about life transformation. Listen, the things of God, the, the reality, the salvation of Jesus, you need to catch this, is not about uh, uh, man, behavior modification. I just got to teach you something different. I got to help you unlearn some things. I got to give you some knowledge. But rather, it's about life transformation. Because it's about heart change. See, you're brothers and sisters and your aunts and uncles and your neighbors and your co-workers. It's not just about getting them into a Bible study. It's not just about getting them, if they could know, if they could understand. And I, under, I know what we mean when we say those things, but the reality of this, whenever we think it's about Bible knowledge, here's the reality, is that we're just trying to pretty up a dead corpse. And the thing is about a corpse, we don't, it, it's not about prettying it up. What do we, man, life transformation, dead things have to come to life. And that's not going to happen by head knowledge. And Jesus says here, he says, how are you the teacher of Israel? You don't understand this. 
Because it's spiritual. It's not carnal. It's not just by knowledge. This is what the issue is when Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And he says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And what's Jesus saying here? He's referencing the people who have head knowledge but no heart transformation. They have the right things to say. Even, even Nicodemus, when he, uh, when he uh, gets to Jesus and during this night, he walks up and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're one that comes from God. He recognizes the authority and the power that Jesus has. He recognizes that there's something different about this man, but yet he can't comprehend that he needs life transformation. Not yet. And dear friend... It's not about what's in your head. That's what makes knowledge tragic. That's what will deceive you. The deception is, I've been a Baptist for a long time. I've been a church member for a long time. I've sat through the Bible studies. I've read the Bible cover to cover. And, and I, I believe in all these sorts of things. And it just becomes so much about what we know. And not about... A life transformation and a life-altering interaction with Jesus. And so, number one, knowledge is tragic when it's only for your head. Number two, knowledge is tragic when it's not personal. When it's not personal. Look at verse 11. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And, do not, and you do not receive our witnesses. Look, if you mark, underline your Bible, I want you to catch this, okay? Notice the plurality here. Notice the, the, the pronouns here, all right? So look at uh, verse 11. Most surely I say to you, mark, underline your Bible, circle we. We speak. What we know, circle we, and testify what, there it is again, we have seen. And you do not receive, circle our witness. Most importantly, I think what's happening here is Jesus is pointing to the Trinity. He is pointing that God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit. And by the way, all that nonsense about people saying Jesus never claimed to be God, this is part of him claiming to be God. Because I believe he is making himself one with the Father. Okay? But, but there also is something else going on here. I want you, and I don't think we have it on the screen this morning, but if you've got your Bible, look just back up a few verses to verse 2. Let me remind you of how Nicodemus came to Jesus. Verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, look at this, We know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. What, what's the idea there? Rabbi and some of the other undoubtedly probably religious leaders, some of the other experts of the law, they've been hearing Jesus teach. They've been seeing some of his interactions, some of the things that he's been doing. And they've had themselves a little committee over in the corner going, what are we going to do about this guy? How are we going to figure this out? And they've been talking about what Jesus has been doing. And then when Nicodemus creeps around the night, slips up on Jesus, Jesus says, hey, 
we recognize that you are from God, but how in the world can one be saved? How can one enter the kingdom of heaven? And so in Jesus' infinite wisdom, what Jesus then responds, he meets Nicodemus right where he's at. He says, while you and some of your buddies have been trying to figure this out, let me tell you what we have seen, what we testify of, what we know to be truth, and that is one must be born again. And what Jesus is trying to communicate to Nicodemus, it is not some collective experience that you can get in a think tank and, and, and postulate about what ought to be done, how should we handle this, how should we approach this, but what Jesus is saying is saying that you individually need a personal experience with Jesus. Let me make sure we got all on the bottom shelf here this morning. I can't tell you the number of people that I've met, that I've asked them, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? And they'd tell me heaven. And praise God, I love to meet folks going to heaven. And I follow it up with this, Lord forbid you were to die today and stand before God. And I want you to think about this, and you're standing before God today, what would you answer? What would you say? If you were to die today, and stand before the Lord, and he said, why should I let you in my heaven? What would you answer? What would you say? And let me tell you the, one of the answers I've heard over and over and over again. I've asked that question to a lot of folks. I can't tell you the number of times ago. Oh, man, my, my grandma's sweet. She, man, she, she loves people. She goes to church. I know she prays for me often. I go to her, go to church with her when I was young. Or they, man, my mama, man, my, my mama's the most church goingest person I ever knew. You tell me, boy, she'd go to church sometimes. I didn't even know church was open. Or you know what? My granddaddy was a preacher. My daddy was a deacon. And you know what? In light of eternity for that individual, that don't matter one hill of beans. Doesn't matter one bit. Man, praise God, they've got some, uh, some, man, some godly folks in their heritage. Man, praise the Lord for that. But let me tell you, dear friend, your mama, your daddy, your grandma, your grandpa, your son, your daughter, your grandkids, They can't no more get you into heaven than a helicopter can. Why? Because it's got to be personal. I can't make that decision for you, man. I, I wish. Some of you have been saved a while. Man, don't you wish you could make that decision for your kids or your grandkids? I've seen some of you weep on this altar begging that God will save some of your kids or grandkids or husband or wife or aunt uncle. I, I don't know how many husbands I've talked to or tried to talk to. Loss is a ball in high weeds and convinced that because their wife is a good church-going lady 
And man, a godly saint, but somehow he's all right. Jesus saying, he's, it's got to be personal. He said, most surely I say to you, he's saying, listen up, I want you to catch this. We speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you have not received our witness. He's telling Nicodemus that as the Trinity, as one with the Father and one with the Spirit, Jesus saying, what I'm telling you is true and you have not received the testimony from me. And what's he saying? He's saying, you can't say in verse 2, Nicodemus, earlier you said, Rabbi, we recognize you're one from heaven, and then you're not willing to receive this. You're not willing to accept this. You can't say, we recognize you're from God and not receive the witnesses he is one from God. And that's what a lot of church folks do. A lot of folks who attend church on a regular basis. Man, they sit where you're sitting and sit in churches all over our nation. And man, the Spirit of God is all over them. And the conviction of God is all over them. Saying, won't you get saved? Man, the Spirit of God drawing you to Himself. You've had times under conviction and you leave week after week. Or, or leave going, man, I'll, I'll do it another day. Or I'm not worried about that today. What the Lord's saying to you today is like he, Matthew 7. He said, Lord, Lord. You know what he says? That was in verse 21 we read a moment ago. You know what he says in verse 23? He says, I will look at them and declare, declare unto them, you work of iniquity, depart from me, for I never knew you. Oh God. You want to talk about tragic. To think that the day you take your last breath and you close your earthly eyes and you open your heavenly eyes and you stand before the one who has nail-scarred hands that died for your salvation and then you try to convince Jesus why you did not need his salvation but you were good enough to earn your way into heaven. And you post your resume about accomplishments. And it will be with a brokenness that he says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for which I never knew you. Won't you give your heart to Jesus today? Man, I'm telling you right now, if I were you and under conviction... I get up, leave my seat. I go get Pastor Jonathan. I go get somebody else. Go, man, I, I don't want to wait and see. I, I, I don't need to wait to the end of the sermon. I know what I need right now. See, because it's not just about head knowledge, it's got to be personal. Back in verse 3, he said to him, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Your salvation better be as personal as your birth was. I don't know if you know this, but nobody else was born for you. You were there. Nobody else can be saved for you. You have to surrender your heart and life to Jesus. Acts 3.19, P. 
Peter says, says, repent therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. Look at this, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Anybody that's ever experienced salvation, well, you know the sweetness of that phrase, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, I can't, I can't, I don't want to get over, I can't get over the day that I was saved and knowing the freedom of forgiveness that I had in that moment. You know, the only thing I was upset about, I was only upset that I didn't do it sooner. And so, knowledge is tragic when it's only in your head. Knowledge is tragic when it's not personal. And then number three, knowledge is tragic when it does not point you to your greatest need. Let's look at verses 12 through 15. He says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus has a strong word for Nicodemus here and he says, I've given you an earthly illustration and you just absolutely cannot comprehend it, cannot understand it. Because it's a... it, 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 point, it goes and flies in the face of everything that Nicodemus had believed and thought to be true about salvation, about the kingdom of God. And so he says, how can I tell you something earthly and, and uh, you not understand, but you want me to give you something heavenly? And then notice verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven. No one has gone there on their own merit. No one has earned their way there. No one has done anything apart from Jesus. And he says, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Nicodemus, you, like the rest of mankind, cannot earn your way into the presence of God. And because that is true, Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You may read that and go, what in the world? It seems like, did Jesus have a glitch here? Like he pulled something random into the story. No, he has purpose. Uh, look, Look with me here in Numbers 21. We have this story in the book of Numbers where there's sin in the camp. There's sin among the the children of Israel. They've rebelled against God and there's judgment coming upon them. And there were snakes. And snakes had bitten many of the Israelites. And they were dying. So they pleaded with God, God, heal us, we need you. Moses had said, God, what do you want us to do? Man, everybody's dying, and we realize we've sinned against you. What must we do? And notice what uh, Numbers 21, you have the response from the Lord. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, so it was if if a serpent had bitten anyone... When he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. So this is a picture. Imagine this. I mean, there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of them. 
Uh, thousands and thousands of individuals who have been bitten, who are dying, and all these things. And so Moses cries out to God, and this is the answer God gives them. So they make a bronze serpent, and they put it on a pole, and they raise the pole up. Why? So that it's easier for folks to look at the bronze serpent, and when they look to it, God heals them. Nicodemus would have known this story very well. Nicodemus would have understood this in some sense to be a prophetic promise that the Messiah was coming, that the Messiah would come and heal the people. But Nicodemus misunderstood the timing and misunderstood that Jesus was not just a rabbi, Jesus was the Messiah. And so look at the text again. He says, verse 12, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. Verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what happened? People were healed. Notice this, And even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's the issue? You say, Pastor, well, that's all well and good, but maybe you've never been snake-bitten. But you are sick. See, every person in this room, prior to salvation, were sick. Matter of fact, we're so sick, the Bible says that we are sick unto death. Bible says the wages of sin is death. Every one of us, because when we know the difference between right and wrong, we choose wrong every single time. That's what the garden showed us, and that's what all of human history has shown us. There's only been one who did not choose sin, and that was Jesus. And every one of us are sin sick. And because we are sick, we are going to die. In a similar way, the children of Israel had sinned against God. God sent these snakes. They had bit them and they were dying. The promise of Scripture is that the wages of sin is death. Every person, every human, knowing the difference between right and wrong, sins against a holy God, and the consequences, the punishment, the wages of that sin is death. And this is part of our problem as churches, is we don't really believe this. We don't really believe that people are sinners and going and dying and will die and go to a hell without Jesus. We don't believe hell is real. We don't believe that sin really does have a consequence. But all sin has a consequence, and it's the same, that it separates us from a holy God. And what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see is I'm not just a rabbi who is sent from God, but rather I am God and I am the Messiah who has come. And he is meeting Nicodemus where he knows and understands and going, you remember the story when Moses prayed, God said, take a serpent, raise it up on a stick. When they look, I'll heal them. And then he says this, in the same way the Son of Man will. In the same way I 
will be lifted up, is what Jesus said. And then listen to what he says later in the book of John. John 12, verse 32. This is a verse we know you're familiar, but hopefully this will give a little more context. Look at this. He says, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What's the significance? He tells us in verse 15, look at this, that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die. Yes, die physically, but not die spiritually. Look at this, but have eternal life. So then what's the goal? What's the focus? Here's what I hope then is this morning, my task has been the task of similar to that of what Moses had, is that he had a command of God to lift up the serpent. And all I've come to do this morning is to remind us I'm not the one lifting Jesus up, but Jesus has been lifted up. And may we look unto him. Reading in my quiet time this morning. Near the end of Matthew. And Jesus has been teaching and he has been preaching. And he comes to that final week. And he has the the final supper. Before the crucifixion. And Judas betrays him. The Bible says that all the disciples deserted him. And Jesus goes along, he is arrested, he is accused, and he is beaten. The Bible says that he is spit on, and he is hit in the face, and he is mocked. But that wasn't enough. The Bible would tell us that Jesus would go... And he'd be treated as a a criminal and he would be flogged. They would take a cat of nine tails and history tells us that this would be a a, a stick about yay long and it would have strips of leather off of it. And at the end of that leather, they would use bone, they would use glass, they would use any metal, anything sharp. And they would take this criminal and they would place his hands where they could not be pulled out. And they would take that cat of nine tails and an individual who is an expert in beating and mistreating criminals would take that cat of nine tails and take and lay, uh, lay it over his back. And that metal and all of those objects would dig into the human flesh and rip chunks out of the body. You remember 39 times. And the Bible says, as a matter of fact, Isaiah prophesied that you could not tell whether Jesus was a man or a woman. He was so beaten. And they laid him on the cross. And they drove nails through his hands. Through his feet. And they gathered around. And they hoisted him up. And set him high. 
Why did they do it? They did it so that all walking by could mock Jesus. Jesus allowed it to be done so that all walking by could see him. If I be lifted up, That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know what, I don't know where you're at spiritually this morning. But I have no doubt there's some among us that have not yet experienced this personal salvation. And I don't know what keeps you from it. I don't know if it's pride. Man, Jesus is hitting hardcore the pride of Nicodemus going, you are the teacher, but you need me. You're the teacher, but you need the Messiah. You're the teacher, but you need the Savior. Maybe it's guilt. Romans 5.8 says this, listen closely. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is what that means. Jesus being lifted up on the cross. Jesus in the midst of the scourging. Jesus in the midst of being ridiculed and made fun of while he hung naked on a cross saw you on the worst day of your life doing the worst thing you've ever dreamed of or thought of. The thing that you would be most embarrassed that if anybody ever knew. Jesus looked at you on that day and said, I love you anyway. Because he doesn't love you based on your performance. He doesn't love you based on your amount or not so much sin. Because we are all guilty in the eyes of God. One sin separates us from a holy God. One sin makes us dead in need of a Savior. And dear friend, I don't know what you've done in your life. I don't care if it's murder. I don't care if it's drug addiction. There is nothing except rejecting the Holy Spirit of God. Rejecting this salvation. There is nothing that you could do, ever have done, ever will do, where God would turn away and go, I can't save them. But if you reject him, God doesn't force himself on anybody. On anybody.
So what does it take for this salvation? The last verses are Acts 20, verse 20 and 21. Paul saying this, he's saying, I've not kept back anything from you. I've taught you both publicly and from house to house. Verse 21. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know how to be saved. When you look unto Jesus, you repent and place your faith and trust in Christ. Repent is to turn. I'm walking towards rebellion. I'm walking toward thinking I know enough to get me into heaven. It's Nicodemus going, man, I am the teacher. And repenting is turning from a sinful life, turning from things that that repulsive and they turn away God, returning to Him, turning toward Him and placing our faith and trust in Him. And I get it. Man, some of you may be facing addiction, drug, alcohol, sexual addiction. Going, preacher, I don't have any way. I don't know how I would stop. I don't know how I would quit. And let me tell you, from one struggler to another, God will do things in your life you never dreamed of. And when I knelt down that day, I didn't have the foggiest idea how God was going to do the things He did in my life. I just knew more than anything, October 10th, 2004, I needed Jesus. And He promised Whoever believes in me should not perish, but have eternal life. You know what's great about that? It's not will have, it's have right now. Right now, I have eternal life. Why? Because Jesus said this, says to have eternal life is to know Jesus. And one day, in the words of one of my Hebrew professors, I'm going to die graveyard dead. He gone. There's going to be a casket. There'll be an old flesh suit that's there. That won't be me. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And there's not a single one of us that's guaranteed another day. If you don't know Jesus, surrender your life to Him today. And those of you, because I believe there's a lot of believers in here, there's a lot of folks that know Jesus. I can't imagine why we wouldn't want to storm heaven with the prayers of the saints this morning, begging God to save your family to save your friends, to save your co-workers. Man, to save somebody here this morning. Man, we prayed on Wednesday night. God saved somebody. Last week, we, uh, not this past Wednesday night, but the week before, we specifically prayed. God, would you, would you save just one? Would you save just one? You can criticize them. We didn't pray big enough. We prayed that on Wednesday night. Thursday night, driving on a drive, I got a Facebook message from one of our families said their little girl gave their heart to Jesus. By the way, this this isn't part of the message. This will be free, okay? If I could require every person a part of Second Baptist Church to be at Wednesday night prayer meeting except for those that are serving, I would. 
Not just so we'll have a bunch, but because I believe us praying together is going to be the lifeblood of seeing God work in a way that we want to see Him work in our church. Here's the opportunity. Repent and place your faith and trust in Jesus if you don't know Him. And if you do, if nothing else, when we pray in just a moment, if you know Christ, let's beg God to save your lost friends and family and co-workers and people in this room. Let's pray. God in heaven, I pray in this moment for every person who doesn't know you, God. God, I pray that you'll save them. I pray, God, that you'll work and move in a way that only you can. God, I pray that right now you would give lost people the grace to be saved. And if that's you this morning, if you'd say, Pastor Chris, I, I, I need to be saved this morning. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You just call out to him right where you're at. Ask him to forgive you and be the boss of your life. Surrender, give everything to him. Just a moment, I'll lead you in what we call a sinner's prayer, but surely after this morning, you understand, man, this is personal. You surrender, you give everything to Him. It's not just about repeating of some words, it, it's pouring your heart out to Him. But I understand some folks want a little help communicating that. But if you call out to Him, the Bible says He'll save you. But if you want to be saved, you can pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. Jesus, come into my heart, wash away my sins. Be the boss of my life. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I will be what you want me to be. Save me, Lord Jesus. I give everything to you. I repent of everything in my life and surrender to you. I pray in Jesus' name. In just a moment, I'm going to pray once again. I'm going to pray for all of us. But friend, I'm asking you this. If you prayed that right then and you meant it with all your heart, when I finish praying in just a moment, I'm inviting you, not your neighbor, not somebody else. I'm inviting you to meet me down front. Pastor Chris, I prayed and asked Jesus to save me. It's the single most important decision of your life. And although it is personal, you need somebody to come alongside you and be an encouragement to you. So if you prayed that today and you meant it with all your heart, in just a minute when I pray and say amen, you come today. Say, Chris, I, I asked Jesus to save me. You say, I, I may have some questions. If you're a child or maybe you're just struggling, find somebody to come with you. Don't let this moment go by. And I'm going to challenge you that are believers in the room. Man, before I get done praying, my hope is that our altar is full because you're begging God that there's some people who need to be saved in your family, in your life. When I finish praying, you come. You respond. 
God in heaven, I thank you for today. God, I pray that you, Spirit of God, would move among your people. God, I pray for every person who prayed and asked Jesus to save them. God, I pray when I say amen, you give them boldness to come this morning. Not to wait, not to put it off. God, they would respond. God, bind away the enemy. Bind away all their fears, all those things. God, give them boldness. And God, I pray for every one of us that are believers, God, that we would beg you for salvation for those that we know, those that we love. And that, God, you may hear our prayers and save somebody. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If God spoke to your heart this morning, you come. Don't wait on anybody else. Bye.